troops will be willing on your day of battle, arrayed in holy splendor. Your young men will come to you like dew from the morning's womb. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. The Lord is at your right hand. He will crush kings on the day of his wrath. He will judge the nations, heaping up the dead and crushing the rulers of the whole earth. He will drink from a brook along the way, and so he will lift his head high. Lord, we thank you that you are the one that will crush your enemies. You are the one who is the just king. Justice comes from you. We learn justice from you, and we celebrate you this morning. O one who will rule the nations. Oh God, we give ourselves to you this morning. We say we agree with you. You are our provider. You are our strength. You are everything that we need, God. And we acknowledge you this morning, young and old. We give you praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We pray that your will would be done. We pray that your kingdom would come. We pray that you would reign and rule, not only in our hearts, but in our lives, in every aspect, in every relationship, in every part of our lives, in our world, in every nation, in every aspect of everything, Lord, we ask you to be in charge. Your kingdom come, your justice be done, your will. And Lord, we want to surrender to that. And right now, we want to hear from you. We are anxious to hear your word to us so that we might know a next step that we can do to submit to you and to see your kingdom and justice come. Amen. All right, well, I'm Pastor Steve Rasmussen, if you didn't know that. Um, and you are very welcome. We're in our year for a just king. And uh, we're, so we're reading the Bible together, so I didn't start at the beginning this, this year, because I spent three years doing the Pentateuch, so if you want to cheat like me, you can start in Joshua. Uh, but I've been, I've been uh, for those of you who are reading through the Bible, I, I've been focusing on Samuel these last few weeks, and this, this uh this time that, that we're talking about the year for the just king, we're, when we're backing up last, year, last week, we asked, do you want a king? The year for the just king, do we want a king? The, see the problem with king? It's so demanding, isn't it? Like, I mean, like, king sort of is all-encompassing as far as being in charge of everything, right? Um, I mean, I'm, I'm willing to have a, you know, an option, I'm willing to have a, an accountant maybe look at my finances, but I don't want to mess in with my time or my marriage or my, you know, there's certain people I want to look at certain things, but a king implies that he's going to be in charge of everything. So we talked about why do we want a king? And we said, we talked about last time, if, the, if we wanted a king, what would we want a king for? First of all, a lot of us said we don't really want a king. We talked about whether we'd want a king. It said if we did want one, we'd want one for protection for provision and for pride, because we um, we know that, in fact, just in what we were just singing, the psalmist is saying to God, "Be my king." He's saying, "You are my shield." 
He's saying, you are my glory and the lifter of my head. You're my pride. You're the reason why I can lift my head up. And so the question really is, who do you hope in to meet your needs? Who are you depending on for all of those things and many others? Yourself, some other king, some other option. And who is making the decisions? Where is your dependence? Who is making the decisions to uh, help you? And then I want to ask you another question. What about justice? Do you really want justice? This is not working too well. I don't know if I need a new battery or maybe I messed it up when I dropped it. Um, all right, there we go. So do I really want justice, especially if I might lose? See, justice is fine if like, I feel like I'm really on the bottom, then I want justice, right? So wherever I'm really on the bottom, I want justice. You know what? If I'm at work and I'm on the bottom, I'm all for justice. If I'm at, at, in my home, if I think I'm more on top, then I don't want, I want things status quo, right? Do you really want justice? What if you have to lose or surrender? What, and what's your role in the just kingdom? What's your role in bringing justice, and how will you fulfill it? So I want you to think about that first question. Do you really want justice? And in how many areas, what might it mean... And do you want it even if it doesn't mean you win? You get what I'm saying? When you watch the football team and they don't catch something that your team did, it's like, oh, well, you know. They don't catch something the other team did. Oh, my goodness, now I want justice, right? You know, we can be a little that way. Do you want justice? Think about it for a minute. Do you want righteousness? Really? In everything, in every area? For yourself, for others? Um, I, I think we just a little bit of a gut check for us as we head into the year of the just king. Um, so, back to the... Um, no, not backwards. Back to what we were just talking about. There we go. God builds a great, just, holy nation kingdom. So we talked about how there was justice in the garden, righteousness, love, then there was injustice, and it spread from the family to the nation to the international, inter-ethnic injustice. And God's answer to that was to choose Abraham and build a great, just, holy nation and kingdom from him. So he said, God, I'm going to bless you, Abraham, and you're going to be a blessing to all ethnic groups, and I'm going to make your name great, and you're going to be a blessing. This really isn't working for some reason. Um, there we go. There you go. What does a nation need? It needs all those things. Or maybe it's very slowly working. All right, there you go. Um, so Exodus 19 expands that and puts Israel in the middle. Abraham's descendants are now going to be a blessing. They're going to bless all the nations. They're going to come to Israel. And so Israel gets in there. And there's, again, this promise. These despised people, these slaves, are made into a nation that belongs to God. And they were given a promise, that, and they're told they're going to have a just culture. The law is about that. And that Yahweh is the just king. And that is the focus. That's really the focus of what we're talking about. Yahweh, God, has to be the just king. There's not options or 
multiple possibilities of just kings. Not a multiple choice question. There is only one just king. So he gives them the land that he promised. And the question when they get the land through Joshua fulfills this promise to give the land and distributes it justly so everyone has the ability to survive and make do well. Um, Judges and Samuel, the question really is about is there going to be human leadership, but more so the question is, is Yahweh really king? Yahweh is the just king. Is he your king? Is he our king? In your personal life, is Yahweh king in group, whatever groups you're part of? Is Yahweh king? Do you want Yahweh to be king? Um, that was a question for them as well. And again, we talked about those were the things they were looking for, but were they looking to God for it? We talked about the kingdom of self and society. You know, powerless, just powerless when you can't click things and they don't move. Anybody else that trouble with their remotes? Might me too. Um, so, our freedom is in submission to God as king and also to human leadership he appoints. So, so they, they did want a king, they didn't want a king. Yes, we want a king. Negative is so we can be like all the other nations. Trusting the king instead of Yahweh leads us to injustice and slavery positive thing is a king submitted to Yahweh and his word, anointed by the Spirit to serve God and to serve people, especially the lowliest people, and to bring justice, to use power to bring justice on behalf, submitted to God. That's the kind of king that could be a good reason to have a king. Being like other people who have power is not a good reason. So what would these justice bringers look like. And now, in, you know, I would love to someday we'll have to preach through First and Second Samuel because it's just great stuff about Samuel and Saul, David and, and uh, Jonathan and all these great characters. Um, so what is a justice bringer? We have these judges. We have Samuel and Saul. And what we're starting to get a picture of what kind of leadership would bring this just king. What kind of Leadership will Yahweh allow to bring justice on his behalf? So what kind of agent, what kind of role or position? There could be a, a judge sometimes, or a prophet, or maybe a priest, or maybe a king. And God, last time we showed how God didn't want a king, because the reason they wanted a king was to have one in competition with Yahweh as king. They didn't think God, Yahweh was protecting them enough, providing enough for them. They wanted enough pride. They wanted to have somebody visible they could point to. But So the king now, God, it's amazing how God moves into their decision to have a king and says, okay, it's just going to be a problem for you, but we'll go with that. And he adapts and uses that as a new thing. So what's the enablement for this king? The first thing is that he has to be called. So you'll notice the call of Samuel in the night, of Saul, who even when he gets called, he wants to hide in the baggage because he's so insecure. But God says, no, you are going to be the king. And he tells Samuel, this is the guy. He is called, and then he is empowered
Empowered how? By the Spirit of God. So the Spirit of God would come upon the judges, right? Samson and, and these other people. It comes on Saul. When he's anointed, the Spirit comes on him. And this guy was just looking around for donkeys. Suddenly, one really interesting thing is it says the Spirit came on him and he got really angry. I'm like, wow. So anger can be. He gets angry about an injustice that's happening to, to some people, and he gets angry, he calls people out, and he, and he fights a battle. But the Spirit of God empowers him. But it wasn't that he was such a great general. Samuel was a prophet, a judge, and he led against the Philistines too. It really wasn't about Saul. His empowerment was from David, and it, and it was also trust that God could do what he said he was going to do, that he could do it, and even that he could use Saul. Now, Saul was insecure, so he had a hard time believing that God could use him. Anybody else ever have a hard time believing that God might be able to use me? Because you kind of know yourself pretty well. And then you can also look around the room and say, and I don't know about him either. Most of you are looking at me, actually. Um, But I know, you got questions. I got questions. Can God really use me? Can God really use me, you, and that trust that God is able and that the Spirit of God is able to empower and guide is what we need. So Saul does some amazing things, but then he forgets, and his motivation changes. His motivation was anger at injustice against God's people, but it shifts from doing what God wants And his motivation becomes, so this situation happens where the Philistines are there and people are afraid. His army is sneaking off different directions. Everybody's running away. Everybody's shaking in their boots. And he's got to do something. At least that's what he thinks. Samuel said he was going to come and he is late. He's not here to do the sacrifice. Saul says, you know what? I just got to do it. So he does the sacrifice. As he's finishing, Samuel shows up and says, what are you doing? Were you called to make sacrifices? That's my job. That's a priest's job. That's not a king's job. And Saul starts to get motivated by trying to please people. Do they like me? Is his question. Are they with me? Is his question. And then um, he makes another rash vow with Jonathan. And then the, the Really, the the slipping, tipping point is when Samuel tells him to go and destroy everyone. He destroys everything, well, at least all the not-so-good stuff. But he hangs on to the really good sheep, and and, and his people, his soldiers, are like, yeah, this is a nice sheep. I don't want to kill this thing and sacrifice this thing. We're going to take it home. And so Samuel shows up, and he says, I did exactly what God told me to. And he said, how come I hear cows and sheep? Um, he said, well, you know, the people made me. Uh, really? And so Samuel, Samson, Samuel finishes the job, but see, Saul has slipped from Yahweh is king, and I do whatever he shows me how to do by the power of the Spirit because he's called me to this situation to do his will into what needs to be done around here? 
And what am I supposed to do as king? And do they like me? And what do the polls say? And would they vote for me? It wasn't a voting kind of situation, but the point is he's not focused on pleasing God anymore. He's not focused on power from God anymore. He's focused on how do I get this job done? Am I good enough? Can, can, do they like me? And so what happens is because of that, not listening carefully to and obeying God, God takes the kingdom away from him. He says, you know what? I would have made you king and your son king. I mean, Jonathan was a good guy. He would have been a good king. But he says, you know what? You have failed to follow me, failed to pursue justice with me and with others. And so I'm taking the kingdom away from you. And he sends Samuel on this mission to find, and he anoints a new king, David. God looks on his heart. Now, he's a good-looking guy too, but nobody's paying attention to David. He anoints David, calls him in from the sheep, anoints him, and, and things shift. David ends up, Saul starts being mentally ill. He's got an evil spirit that makes him depressed and anxious and fearful. And David now is the one with the Spirit of God. David is able to sing a song and bring calm and rest, and he's starting to write his psalms. He was already writing them out with the sheep, but he's starting to write some more psalms. That So now the Spirit is sort of helping Saul through David. And then they start, they start uh, going out to battle. And of course, we all know the Goliath story, but we tend to get the David and Goliath story a little bit wrong because we think it's about David. It's not about David. Now, of course, Saul is a head taller than everybody else. So when the Philistines have an even bigger giant, he should be the guy, right? He's got the weapons, he's got the experience, he's got the height, but he doesn't have the Spirit of God anymore. And he is afraid. He's shaking in his boots just like everybody else. That power is no longer there and the trust is no longer there because the motivation has already shifted to me. Saul is afraid for himself. David shows up. He's now anointed by the Spirit. And he says, how can he mock Yahweh? That's ridiculous. Yahweh is greater than any old giant. And he runs out with a sling. And his motivation is trust in God. And empowered by the Spirit, he is able to take down Goliath. Now it really gets to Saul because people start noticing, especially those young girls start noticing that Saul has killed his thousands. He should be happy, right? David has killed his ten thousands. Oh, now Saul is boiling and he gets envious and because David's got what he used to have. David's got the Spirit of God, really. He's got the call. He's got the place to bring it. And David's motivation is doing what God wants. Saul's motivation shifts to, what about me? And you'll notice later, he's like, is everybody against me? How come, Jonathan, are you against me? And you priests. And he kills 85 priests and all their families because they helped David out. And it shifts to be all about this insecure Saul leader. It's all about him. David, meanwhile, is still focused on what does God want. In fact, to the point where when Saul is seeking him out, 
Saul walks into the cave. David's in. And David, his men are all like, this is it. He's after your neck. Kill him. What does he do? He sneaks up. He cuts off his robe and then lets him go. Because he said, why would I harm the Lord's anointed? And he shows Saul and he says, hey, I'm not after you. Really, why are you chasing me down? You see, David's, even though he knows he's anointed to be king, he's not going to take it in his hands. He doesn't need to. So you see this contrast between the two people. Saul can't wait for Samuel to show up so he can do the sacrifice because it's going to go bad. David can wait to be king because he's trusting God. He's got the Spirit of God. God can do it in his time. Does it ever happen to you that you start out with a good thing, somebody, something God's called you to do. And initially it's, it's flowing and in, in, in God's helping you, and then it becomes, subtly shifts to being about you. And how many people show up for it? And whether it's going to really succeed and how people are seeing you and what does this mean? And the shift can be subtle, but it becomes about, can I do it? Are people with me instead of what's God's time? What's God's power? And it can be the other way around too. I can't do this. Is it about whether you can do it? I remember when people used to, we'd come back as missionaries and we'd uh, show our stuff and people would come and say, oh, I could never do that. What you guys do? And I was like, you think I can? Are you afraid of the dark in a place where there's no electricity? Are you, have you had, you know, I, I had all kinds of reasons I couldn't do it, and a lot of times I didn't think I could do it, but I somehow, no. God somehow enabled me to do it, what I needed to do, even though it wasn't easy. So what is it for you that God's been calling you to do? What role has he given you? What opportunities? Maybe you're teaching someplace. Maybe. You know, maybe you're in education someplace. Maybe you're healing. You're in the healing professions. Maybe you get to greet people in the store. Maybe, how do you bring justice, the presence of God, where you are, in your home, in your family, in your school? How do you, what's your call as a justice bringer? Now, David's a justice bringer. This is going to lead up to Jesus, but Jesus empowers us as well. So we're, we're getting the pattern that Jesus is going to fulfill. So the task is what? To bring justice. That's what the justice bringer is supposed to do. He's there to proclaim justice, to say this is what is right. So later we'll see David, when he comes into the kingship, he says this is what is right. We're going to do this. We're not going to do that. Solomon is the classic proclaimer of justice as he's bringing justice. Uh, of course, Samuel and the, and the prophets are proclaiming justice. And notice, I want you to notice something. They proclaim it for the littlest people. So David, when he gets into the throne, what does he do? He seeks out a child, a grandchild of Jonathan and David and brings them into his house. Now, they should be his enemy because that's, I mean, there's a civil war goes on for seven years before David gets in between the descendants of Saul and David, but he has promised loyal love to Jonathan's descendants. He brings in this lame enemy to eat at his table. 
as a giver of justice. You remember this famous story of, of, of Solomon bringing justice where two prostitutes come before the king and one of them, their baby died and they're fighting over who's got the real baby and Solomon has a great wise thing to do there. Why would prostitutes get to come before the king to decide which of them was a... You see, they cared about the least. That was what the king was supposed to do, was make sure everybody got justice. The proclamation of justice, but also mighty acts of justice, which are both helping people out and also against the enemies. Now, David is famous. Samuel, Saul also are bringing these mighty acts of justice against the enemies of the people of God and creating a just social shape so that people, the system works for people and doing justice justly. Now, not all these are as obvious, but through all of that, um, God fulfills the promise that he made to Abraham and to the people of Israel. Because Joshua started the conquest of the land, right? David finishes it. To a large extent, David finishes conquering, and they have peace on every side, and they've, they've pushed out the borders almost to where they're supposed to be, the fulfillment of the promise comes in David's time and in Solomon's time. They have rest and peace and people are like, this is what God promised. Hallelujah. And God even gives them another promise. But I want you to notice something. When things are going good, when God's fulfilled His promises, when you have prosperity and you have peace, are you still depending on the power from the Spirit of God? Are you still listening carefully to God? So David in the wilderness does an amazing job of listening to what God wants to have happen. Once things are at peace, and even he comes to the priests and, he says, and they say, well, you know, you can't eat the holy bread because only, he says, you know, my men, all of us, we refrain from having sex anytime we're, we're in battle. We don't do that. We're, we keep ourselves holy so we can do battle in the Lord's name. And they saw that as, as a way to be holy. Now, later, the troops are out fighting, but David stays home. David stays home, and as he's sitting around, he notices, whew, she is beautiful. Somebody, he's got a vantage point, he can see through the window and see somebody taking a bath, and he says, who is that? He calls Bathsheba to come. Another hashtag Me Too movement in... Uh, in the Bible, we talked about Joseph and a lot of others. Here's another one. It's not that she was so in love with him. It was that he was king. But you see, that's where he slipped. Any normal king, any Canaanite king, could certainly pick any woman he wanted. But an Israelite king is under the great king who has laws and just ways of living righteously, and that's not one of them. Because this is Uriah's wife. Uriah happens to be one of his mighty men. One of his personal bodyguard that has protected him. But he doesn't pay any attention to that at that moment. He sleeps with her. She gets pregnant. He calls Uriah to come back to try to cover up. He gets Uriah drunk, says, go home, sleep with your wife, have a nice time. And Uriah does what they've always done. Oh no, I could never do that. We're in battle. I can't sleep with my wife when we're all in battle. 
So David has him killed, along with a few other people. And then when the report comes, he says, yeah, yeah, you know, the sword kills some. He d- Things have shifted from what is God's will, where is God's power, to what do I need to protect myself, to provide for myself, to cover up. Now, we all need grace, right? But David doesn't go for grace. He goes for a cover-up. He goes for looking good instead of being good. He goes for looking righteous and just instead of being right and just. But I'm getting ahead of the story. Um, Before all that happens, can we advance that? I don't know what's happening here. Um, God makes a new promise, a way that he's going to fulfill this promise. So let's look at Sam, 2 Samuel 7. There's a Bible in front of you. I even brought an NIV today so I, you can follow along together with me um, like the Bible in front of you is. Um, so 2 Samuel 7 is this new promise that talks about fulfilling the old promise to Abraham, to Israel, and now there's a new promise to David. So David gets this great idea. After the king was settled in his palace and the Lord had given him rest, now he's brought the Ark of the Covenant that had been out. He's brought it in and he's got that in Jerusalem which he's conquered. Um, He'd given him rest from all his enemies around him. He said to Nathan the prophet, Here I am living in a palace of cedar while the Ark of God remains in a tent. David replied to the king, Whatever you have in mind, go ahead and do it for Yahweh is with you. But that night the word of Yahweh came to Nathan saying, Go and tell my servant David, this is what Yahweh says. Are you the one to build me a house to dwell in? I have not dwelt in a house from the day I brought the Israelites up out of Egypt. I have been moving from place to place with a tent as my dwelling. Wherever I have moved with all the Israelites, did I ever say to any of their rulers whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, why have you not built me a house of cedar? Notice, uh, Yahweh puts him back in his place. Any other king would, of course, say, you know what? This is the God that got me here, so I'm going to honor God. Yahweh says, you know what? If I want a house, I'll tell you about it. I'll ask you to do that. But you don't get to set the agenda. I'm still setting agendas around here. And I think a tent's just fine. Now then, tell my servant David, this is what Yahweh Almighty says. I took you from the pasture. And following the flock to be ruler over my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone and I've cut off all your enemies from before you. Now. So I want you to want to remind us of something. So he's going he's gonna to talk about house in two different ways here. So God, David wants to build him a house as in a temple for the name of Yahweh to be where people can come to the central sanctuary where the ark is, where people know that God lives there. God promises him a different kind of house. That his house would be established, a dynasty, his children would remain on the throne. So he says, now I will make your name great, like the names of the greatest men of the earth. Does that remind you of Genesis 12? Remember him saying that to Abram? I'll make your name great. 
And I will provide a place for my people Israel and will plant them so they can have a home of their own and no longer be disturbed. I'll give them this land. Remember that promise? Wicked people will not oppress them anymore as they did at the beginning and I have done and have done ever since I appointed leaders over my people Israel. I will also give you rest from all your enemies. <clears throat> the Lord declares to you that Yahweh himself will establish a house for you. You think you're going to build a house for me? I'm going to build a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, who will come from your own body, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. When he does wrong, I will punish him. I'll discipline him with the rod of men, with floggings inflicted by men. But my love will never be taken from him as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from before you. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. Amen. Then David went in and sat before the Lord, and, and you see David's prayer, and David is overwhelmed and humbled and says, Wow, God, that's, that's incredible. And amazing. So God sets a totally different agenda. He says, I want to show you how good I am to you, God. I'm going to build a temple for you. And God says, don't need that. You're not going to build it for me. Maybe when we finish dealing with some of these enemies, I'll let your son build it for me. But I'm going to build a house for you. And so this question of leadership gets established and God takes in the whole idea of a king and says, now I've got a way to have justice bringers permanently. They're going to be your descendants. Wow. Now that is a promise. Um, I want to go back to what we talked about last January. Israel. Abram first. Israel also. And David now, and us as his people, are chosen and known and selected. They're God's, he says, I'm going to make them your son. This is my mom and dad and our, our anniversary. That you're chosen, you're loved, you're known. And you're going to walk in the way of Yahweh. This is from the Abraham text. Walking in his ways. His ways are what? Ways of justice. Following God. When God wants to do something, we follow him. And, so this is my kids and their grandpa a little while ago. Um, we walk, we do like him. He demonstrates justice. He demands justice from us. We do it, and then he delivers it himself. But we walk in the ways of him. So this is a pattern throughout Scripture that we are chosen, known, Selected totally by grace. He says that to David, you were a shepherd out with the sheep. I made you shepherd over my people Israel. You're a nobody, but I chose you. I selected you. Totally by grace. You're my beloved son. And I put you in this place. So now you need to do what is right and just. As my king. As my representative. And then you'll be a blessing to the nations. So, in theological terms, grace, gift, 
free gift, which leads us to do justice, do righteousness. And then we have a mission to the whole world, to blessing the nations and bringing justice and righteousness. But it's really his mission, right? We just get to participate in what he's doing and his selection of us to participate. His sending of his justice bringer, Jesus, because Jesus is the fulfillment of this promise. Now, we're going to watch how this is, this is fulfilled in Solomon. It's fulfilled in some of his other children. So for 400 years, they do have a king of Judah on the throne. The king of Israel on the throne of Judah. But they don't all do what is supposed to happen. I already got ahead of the story. David himself messes up. And the consequence of that little slip-up and the big cover-up ends up destruction in his family, destruction in the kingdom. I want you to realize that what you do impacts other people. Because all of us are influencers. All of us have some kind of leadership. And all of us are also followers. And how you follow impacts a lot of people. How you lead impacts a lot of people. Saul started making it about himself. He had this great son, Jonathan, who would have been a great king, a great prince. But you know what? He didn't get to because his dad messed it up. David did great, but where he messed up, it messed up his whole family and the whole kingdom and civil war and all this other stuff because he didn't keep his eye on the prize. He didn't depend on the Spirit of God. He didn't listen and obey God. He got comfortable. He got thinking it was about him. He got thinking he was done. Hey, some of you who are old like me, amen. Amen. We need to keep following and pursuing, not just when we're young and we're working hard. We've got to keep walking because if we don't, we're going to mess up things for our kids and our grandkids and everybody who we lead. Pursue hard when you're young, young people, like David did. But don't let up when you, you know, the marathon isn't one in the first mile. It's one when you hit the wall. And when you're in the 20th mile, that's where the marathon gets run. And actually, it's a relay race. At the end of the marathon, we pass on the baton, and somebody else has got to run with it. And if we didn't get to where we were supposed to get to, they don't get to run with it, right? I, this was one of the things. I was like, what about Jonathan? Poor Jonathan, messes, he misses out on this. But he did make one choice. He chose, I don't know if, this is, if he should have chose different, but he chose to be loyal to his father, even though he had the insight that David is going to be king, David is the truly anointed one, David, he said, I'll be second in command to you. He got it. But he'd never left his house to join David. He could have prevented that civil war later on, maybe. I don't know. Just that little choice kept... You know, some of us get to be second in command, even when we should be leaders. Are you okay with that? David was a good follower. 
And when he was second in command, he stayed second in command. And he, he stayed in his place until God gave him a different place. He was faithful, loyal. He never caused a coup. Saul made it a deal because of his envy. What's your place? In church? In your family? In your work? In your relationships? In your neighborhood? What place do you have and what is God calling you to do? And are you depending on the Spirit of God to anoint you and enable you to do that? Or are you saying, I've done this before. I kind of know how this goes. I got a degree in this. I've been at this job. I, you know, we never quit having to depend on God having to have him write our to-do list for the day. It's easy for me even. No, I shouldn't say even. It's easy for me to get on with my day without getting my instructions from God. Because I've already got a list of things going in my head, and I wake up not necessarily... Okay, I'll tell you, this week, there were some times I woke up fretting and thinking and trying to figure things out, and the day didn't go very well. There is at least one other day when I woke up thinking, I'm a child of God. He's got me. He's got this. I, I can rest in Him. He's, he's got it together. And that uh, was a whole different day. Are you depending on the Spirit of God to do it? To guide? Are you following the way that God has designed for you to follow. You are chosen. You are known. You are called to bring justice and righteousness in your own life, in your own relationships, in your own... We tend to focus on the, the things we do ourselves, right? But in all the relationships that you're part of. And that's going to be a mission and a blessing to everybody around you. If you listen, you obey, you receive his love, you share his love, we are called, we're chosen. God has called us to be a house of prayer for all nations, to radiate life and joy. He's chosen us to do that right here in a whole bunch of ways. He's empowered us. He's given us the Holy Spirit to do that. He can do that. Do you believe it? We can bring justice because he's called us to. Because he's doing it, we get to participate. We can bless the nations because he's doing it. We get to participate. You all are doing it. I watch you do it. I, I say hallelujah when I see it. And there's all kinds of things I don't see, which is fantastic. Are you listening? Are you hearing what he wants you to do? Are you Finding the roles and the places he wants for you? Are you listening to Scripture? Are you listening to God in prayer, to others around you, so you know what to do? And then are you doing it in his power? And not just like, oh, thanks, God, got the job assignment, let me do it here. God wants to make us a blessing. He made Israel 
a blessing to the nations. In the middle of those big powers, during this time of David and Solomon, this was the peak. And they were as big as some of those powers. And they controlled those trade routes between Africa and Asia and Europe. And so there was a lot of prosperity during the time of David and Solomon. But it was easy to get complacent. Things were great under Solomon, and then Solomon started losing focus. He asked for wisdom. And if, and if you look at where he asked for wisdom, he said, God, give me wisdom so I can do justice. So I can lead your people with justice. We need wisdom to do justice. We need God's power to do it. Solomon, they established that kingdom that God had promised. They built, Solomon built a temple where God could be worshipped and people could say, wow! And then he got a little too comfortable and got a little confused about his wives and started, you know, trying to make his wives happy instead of God happy. Now, okay, I'll build you a little temple over in the corner. A little too much diplomatic power, military power, economic power went to his head, but he got distracted. And then he started saying, and you all need to get in line. He started oppressing the poor instead of serving the poor. And Solomon shifted from the greatest king to maybe the worst king because he made that shift from focused on God, from what have you inherited and what do you want to pass on to the next generation? Now this may be from your own parents or your, to your own kids or maybe it's just the next generation. I mean, we've got a great church here, a multi-generational church here and we've got the baby boomer uh, Jesus people, revival people here who are now in their 60s and, and more, right? How are these young people who are now getting there how are we all going to pass it on? And how are we going to carry it on? Because the next generation needs to be following. Okay, so back to our initial question. Do you want justice? Now, I want, to keep, I want you to keep focused. Yahweh is the just king, which means Yahweh gets to decide what's justice and what to do. Okay? A lot of us get so focused, some of us can get so focused on justice our way, we get hooked on some issue, and we get so upset about that. In fact, some of you are going to read the book of Samuel and you say, How could they kill all those people? That's terrible. Justice gets put above Yahweh. Now, there are definitely issues to sort out there with how they, how they, okay? But you get the slip? We go from saying Yahweh is king and he wants us to do justice to saying, well, justice is so important that God's got to measure up to my standard of justice. And so does everybody else. And we start doing fake-tivism, right? Facebook activism. Oh, I got them. You're nasty. No, that's not right. You got... And we're just creating justice there. Mm. 
We're watching our favorite TV channel. Mm. Is God calling you to do something? To bring justice? To bring righteousness? To live your own life? To get it in line? God, there's no justice without Yahweh. There's no justice without Jesus. And we're not going to get there just by getting angry ourselves. Now, the Spirit of God can come on Saul and make him angry and make him do something about it. So you might get angry about some injustice. That might be a Spirit of God thing. So I don't, I'm not saying you should never be angry about injustice. But God wants us to do more than get fussing. He's got a place and a role for you in His people bringing justice, bringing righteousness in our world. I don't know exactly what it is for you. You're going to have to seek God yourself and talk to some other people. Some other people here would be a good idea. And say, here's what I'm thinking maybe God is wanting me to do. Or maybe somebody's going to come up to you and say, hey, can you help with Radiate? Can you help with the kids? Maybe that's God's call to you. Pray about it. Most of us just do, oh, too busy. And it might be out there too. I'm not saying all the places you can do justice are here, but are you listening to God? Or maybe what happens is people ask you to do something, you say, oh, that's, oh, that's too big for me. I've never done that before. I couldn't. You couldn't. That's right. God seldom asks you to do things you can do. Because then you might think you did it. He wants you to realize that he did it. That's why he usually gives us things we can't possibly do. Except then when we get into doing it and we get used to it, then we start thinking maybe we had something to do with it. Right? Okay. Let me ask these questions again. Do you want justice? Do you want righteousness? Do you want God to be king? Really? Of everything in your life? All right. Of your money? Of your power? Of your sex life? Of your relationships? Of what you watch? Of who you talk to? Of what you listen to? Of how you plan your day? Of which job you take and why you do it? What's motivating you? Are you trusting God? What's your role in the just kingdom? You have a role. You've been chosen. You've been selected. You've been blessed to be a blessing. How are you going to fulfill that role? You're going to do it on your own? How can you practically depend upon God this week to show you what to do and to actually do it? Let's pray. And I'm going to have the worship team come up. Lord, it's easy for us to lose focus to do things in our own power, 
or not do things because we think we don't have the power. To make our own decisions about what we think is best rather than depend upon you. To decide what role we'd like to have instead of hear from you. Father, please, we want to participate in your kingdom that's coming. We want to see your justice and your will be done. But we don't know how to do it. You do. You have a plan not only for our lives, not only for this church, not only for the church of God, but for the world. Bring your kingdom, Lord. Bring your justice, Lord. Bring your righteousness. We confess that we don't know how to do it. We don't have the power to do it. We don't have the money to do it. We don't have the resources or the ability or the wisdom or the education or the contacts to do it. But you do. You can take a shepherd boy out in the back pasture and have him conquer in your name. Bring the promise to your people. Lord, we want to follow you consistently, faithfully, loyally. We want to be looking to what you are doing each day. We want to be depending on you each day. We want all of our decisions to be made by you. We want all of our dependency to be on you. We confess we are not able to do it. That's why we pray your kingdom come. Your will be done. We pray because we can't do it by ourselves. We work together as a church because we can't do it by ourselves. You called a people. You anointed a people. You made a people justice bringers following the great justice bringer, Jesus, the just king. So we want to submit to him. We want to follow him. Lord, do that this week in us. We pray. Amen. Let's just sing that song that Annette wrote for us, and then um, why don't you stand up? I know you're learning it. I want to invite you if you if you want to pray some more, you want to answer those questions better. Sure, go home and answer them. But maybe you want to spend some time praying here, or maybe there's something else in your life you need prayer for. Come on up. There will be people here to pray with you. Go and do the Father's will in the power of the Spirit as you follow the just King, Jesus. Amen. Thank you.